there's actually two Bible readings this morning. The first one is John 13, 31 to 38. Um, when he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will, you will look for me, and, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the second reading is from 1 John, chapter 4. I haven't got enough hands. <laughs> 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is, God's love was revealed among us. In this way, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to the atoning sacrifice to bear the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love may complete in us. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today as we do indeed finish our series on making sense of God and making sense of life. Uh, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this series, uh, certainly been a bit more prep than most of our talks, um, and that's because we've been asking some big questions about whether God is real and true, whether He is good, whether He's worth following. And in answering yes to these things in Jesus, there we go, um, uh, we, we then sought to make sense of life. We've been looking at pleasure and, and work. And, and today we take on the topic of love. How many hours have we got this morning? Why take on this topic? Um, we're taking on this topic today because we are creatures of desire. Because we are fueled by love, we crave it, we give it, we rejoice in it, we lament in its loss, in its brokenness. It defines us in so many ways. You know, for all the talk of love in society, we're actually like the most disconnected we have ever been. Study after study is showing that. But also, we are thoroughly confused about love. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, who uh, I'm going to refer to this book several times and it will appear in our library very soon, uh, No Greater Love, she wrote a book on friendship, it's fantastic. She notes that uh, we are jumbling any type of love with sexual love. That's the kind of world that we live in now. In fact, I wonder if you thought of, Mike speaking on Making Sense of Love, is this a talk on sex? 
we'll, we'll get there a little bit, maybe, but it's bigger than that. But so often she laments in this book that we've lost our ability to show affection because it is confused with sexual romance. These are strange times that we live in, and so it ought to be good for us to dig into God's Word and try and make sense of love, because it's just not good enough to have as a running definition that love is love. I mean, it's a catchy kind of phrase, it means a lot, it carries a lot of weight, but it doesn't actually provide a lot of meaning for us, and so let us dig into the Scriptures, let us look to Jesus and try and make sense of this most precious thing in our lives, love. And so maybe you can start by thinking about the kinds of things that you love. I mean, what do I love? I love sunny days. I love vanilla malt milkshakes. Uh, I love cycling. I love people. I love my wife and kids, which is a different kind of love to my love of most people. I love Jesus. And in many ways, these are what I call the lovely loves. They're kind of, they're good loves and they're kind of, they're nice. They're not always simple, but they're nice. But love as we know it is messy and, and, and vexing, and it's part of the twisting, turning, broken journey that we find ourselves on. We're often driven by deep questions like, does He love me? Why doesn't she love me? Am I loved? These questions can sometimes even mask, I don't think I love myself. And sometimes we love too much, to excess, we grab onto all kinds of things and people and even ourselves as we love ourselves a bit too much. We love with mixed motives. If I love someone and it feels good for me, is that love? And in this hyper-sexualized culture where sex is love, comes before love, is used to find love, <laughs> yes, we need to make sense of love. So if Jesus is the revelation of God's truth, of His goodness, and He is worth surrendering to, let's look at how He makes sense of our loves. And no, I'm not going to go to, you know, the Webster Dictionary definition of love, that's just not good enough to speak into our heart. As we try and make sense of love, let's look at it lived out, because that's where we experience it, where we see it. And in this remarkable little passage from John 13, uh, just before Jesus is going to His death, He spends time with His beloved disciples, uh, and we see it, love that is, we see love in, in a gritty real sense. Uh, now, where you're going to find in the middle of our passage, this command, I give you a new command to love one another. And just in case you thought that was like a lovely love, like isn't that lovely that Jesus calls us to love one another? That's such a nice thing. It's bookended either side with a real hot mess. In fact, we picked up our reading in 31, when He had left, Jesus said, who left? one of Jesus' disciples, one of those that Jesus was closest with. Judas had left Jesus with a kiss of betrayal. He left Jesus to go to the chief priests and to the soldiers to have Jesus arrested so he could get his 30 silver coins. Because Judas loved himself. Judas loved to gain, get ahead, live for himself more than he loved Jesus and he sold out his friend for 30 silver coins. And then on the other side, we have Peter. 
Now, I love Peter. Peter's kind of the real enthusiast of the group. Uh, he often expresses himself with, with great kind of, you know, ambition and, and kind of expression, only to get it wrong time and time again. And so, after Jesus speaks about love, and He's actually going to say, I'm, I'm going to leave. I oh, don't leave. I'll go with you. I will die for you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's such an expression of love. It's a beautiful expression of love. Rather than Judas saying, you know, I'll sell you out for 30 silver coins. He's like, I think you are worth my life. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. I love you that much. But his love is not enduring, is it? In the sense that he will let Jesus down. Instead of laying down his life for Jesus as he thinks he will, he will deny Jesus. And we read in verse 38 that Jesus even knows this. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Could you imagine being Peter in that moment? Confused by his own kind of expression of love to be shut down. I mean, for example, imagine you're in this intimate moment where you say, I love you, and you receive that kind of awkward, like, thank you sort of not reciprocated. This is way worse than that. Like, Jesus sees into the future and shuts Peter down. I see that you will deny me. But you know what? Jesus loves Peter still. Even though Jesus sees it all, the future, the failure, the denial, He loves Peter still. And in the grittiness and whirlwind and reality of life, here is Jesus' statement, verse 34, I give you a new command. In the middle of Judas and Peter's failures, Jesus spends time with the remaining 11 disciples, I give you a new command to love one another. Now, one level you think, Jesus, that's not a new command. God's been speaking about love your neighbour and that God is love and that kind of, you know, that shaped the Old Testament people of God. What is, what is new in this command? What is new is this. When Jesus says it, He models it. He's calling us to love like Him. Love one another as I have loved you. Because Jesus has served them. The King of heaven left the glories of heaven to, to, into the muck and the mire and the sinfulness and the brokenness, and He serves these, these motley crew that He has gathered to Himself. He teaches them, He feeds them physically and in word. And not long after this, He will lay down His life for them. Why? Because He loves them. Because where they have death and sin and judgment, He will give them forgiveness and life and love. Jesus will die so that they, so that we will have life. And this rule of, of self-giving, of selfless love, you know, this unique quality of love inspired by Jesus' love for His own disciples, for us, this will serve as the foundation ethic, foundational ethic for all Christians, starting with these 11 remaining disciples. True love is sacrificial, is self-giving towards the other, gives for their good. And as we've seen already, either side of this statement, we find the love of Jesus hitting against the hard reality of sinful hearts and disordered desires. Jesus knew all of this. In fact, it's the reason He came for us, to give at great cost that we might have life in His love. And in fact, this is the very revelation of the heart of God. 
Back to verse 31 at the beginning, Jesus frames this whole section. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. Uh, John often sort of has on the lips of Jesus these kind of compressed phrases and quite often about glory and revealing the Father. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. Jesus is going to reveal the glory and the heart of God in what He is about to do. Not with simple words of love, but love in action, love that goes to the cross. For this road of glory for Jesus will not be of simple fame and it certainly will not be a fortune measured in gold. He will leave His disciples, He will travel alone and He will die for them. And as He travels the lonely road, fueled in the Father's love, He promises that He will send the Holy Spirit. He says that in the very next chapter. And I mention that because in this moment we see Father, Son and Spirit all at work in expressing their, their superabundant love that overflows for us. Now, without opening up the full doctrine of the Trinity, because we don't have that long, I think it really is important for us to see, as is so explicitly put in 1 John 4, that God is love. God is the very definition of love. If you want to know what love is, look to God, Father, Son and Spirit, for before time even began, there are three persons in the Godhead perfectly loving one another, mutually giving themselves to each other in this dance of love, so intimate and indwelling that they are one God, Father, Son and Spirit. It is a beautiful dance of eternal love. God is love. But from that eternity, God so chose to create us in love. It's just that we rejected His love and went our own way. And so, we have verse 9 from 1 John 4, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There, the eternal God of love has entered into creation because we did not love. If we were to kind of look at, uh, you know, at humanity, you know, there are us, you know, um, we're, we're circles in this picture, right? Uh, you know, the way that we try and love each other, that does not match the way the Father, Son and Spirit so perfectly love and give themselves to each other. Our love leaks, it fails. You know, we, we love others in order to feel valued. We take more than we give. We are dependent on the validation that comes from love. You know, our love leaks and we fail to deliver on the fullness of our promises, whether they're simple promises of a friend or whether they're wedding vows. We resist love because we're wounded and we're hurting and we can't risk it again. And we love in ways that dishonour God. And so all of these kind of, you know, love arcs or arms, these embraces that we are meant to kind of hold out and enjoy, they're all broken. Our love for each other, our love for God, we are leaking love, we are a hot mess. And despite this, in fact, because of this, God in the Lord Jesus Christ came down to us and embraced us first, because God is love. Jesus bled for us that we might be filled with His love. And so we arrive at somewhat of a definition. Love is self-giving, sacrificial, 
unconditionally committed to the well-being of others, reflecting God who is love. Or if I could put it simply, we leak love. Jesus bled love. And as He bled as an atoning sacrifice, that kind of word from 1 John meaning to, to make one, to make right again, to, to join together. As Jesus' love bled out for us that we might be joined back to God, may we be overflowed, may, may we may over, be filled to overflowing so that we might not simply leak love, but overflow love This is love, not that you loved God, but that He loved you and sent Jesus to die on the cross and make you right with Him. So let us love. And may the whole world see it. Did you see that in John 13? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if this is a framework of love built on looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, help give us some kind of shape to how we might make sense of love. I'm going to look at love lived out in a few different realms very briefly, and then I'm going to open up to Q&A, and it's probably going to go in all kinds of directions because this is such a big topic, and it so defines us in many ways, helpfully and unhelpfully. Uh, Nat's going to join me for that, Um, she's going to maybe rescue me from that a little bit, Uh, but you can use uh, the QR codes on the chairs um, to send through anonymous questions, or we might be able to take some from the floor as well. But as we think about living out this love, where we naturally leak it, may we be filled with the love that was bled for us, that we might be filled to overflowing, how does that reshape our love? And so, let's look at a few different realms in which we ought to live this out. And the first one I want to look at is living out love in in God's family. And really, I'm just taking Jesus' lead here because His first kind of, you know, speaking into love here for us is that we would love one another and it's specifically given to the disciples and in the context that they would love one another as kind of God's family. And and, and even more so, it's a missional love so that everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is love in a fishbowl. This is love that people ought to see and be drawn into. This is a revelation of of God's love in Jesus that we ought to experience together and that ought to overflow to the world that needs it. Because the family that Jesus valued most was not His own in the nuclear family sense, but instead His family of followers. Because what defines us here today? It's that we are saved sinners. That's it. Now, they say that uh, uh, blood is thicker than water. That's what we are bonded by. We are bonded by Jesus' blood bled out for us in His love for us, and that's what defines our unity. Now, I'll come back to friendship in a moment, but that's not what primarily defines our connection with one another. And often we come to church looking for friendship, and it's a good thing to want, but our foundational experience and our foundational expression ought to be a love of family, a love of brothers and sisters bound together in the blood of Jesus. Now, our love leaks 
and we constantly make this place about ourselves. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, because we come here wounded, we come here looking for love. But I find this fascinating, this is quoted in, uh, in this book here, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote one of the most famous books on, on love in this sense, uh, called Life Together, he writes this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. So when you come to church with your kind of uh, expectations in mind, you know, built around your loves and your needs, you will come to this place, Bonhoeffer goes more than you'll be disappointed, he says, you will destroy it. <laughs> Not one to mince his words. We'll destroy it because we will bring a false gospel to this place. We come here first and foremost to experience the love of Jesus and to share in that together. And we are to love, in a very real sense, our neighbour, the person sitting right next to us. And so let love present itself in life, in experience, as we practice what Jesus has shown us. Now, as I said, I do hope we experience friendship in this place, and I will come back to this because it is important, but I can't guarantee that and I can't produce it. When I was a youth pastor, I had many parents come to me uh, on more than one occasion, uh, say to me, uh, I really want my child to find a friend here. And I was like, I, I love that, but how, how do you expect me to do that? <laughs> uh, what I hope for you first and foremost is that you would experience the brother-sister love in Christ because we have been won by the blood of Christ and that's what binds us together. Now, some of us in this place will pour ourselves out in sacrificial service. It could be in serving, in ministry, it could be in hospitality, it could be in the way that we, we, we kind of constantly are vulnerable to others and, and, and discipling others. You might even have people that come to mind when you think of these kinds of descriptions. We ought not to assume that those people are plugged all the way in and are feeling super connected. They might simply be living out the love of Christ as they can in this place. And so let us think of them, let us think of everyone and ask the question, how might we encourage them in Jesus? How might we be thankful for them in Jesus? How might we walk alongside them in Jesus? Now, I share that example because a number of years ago, my wife and I were at a church and we were in leadership pretty early on uh, and people just assumed because we were leading in various ways that we felt connected, but we did not. And it was a hard place at times. That church was clicky at times and we often walked away feeling quite frustrated. Now, I know church is full of disappointment and frustration and even hypocrisy, but may we love richly in the love of Christ. Let us not shrink back, but let us live proudly in this fishbowl that the world would see the love of Christ in us. Jesus' love bleeds and that bonds us together. May we struggle and strain to experience that together, that we might live out of an abundance of love that flows out to others. Now, that's one I want to spend most of our, my time on. Let me touch briefly on friendship and marriage, uh, because a little later on in John chapter 15, Jesus goes on to say that uh, He calls them, His disciples, His friends, and He does so because He has let them in, they know the will of the Father. And that's what a friend isn't. The friend lets you in. If you want to go a little bit further, doesn't let you down. 
Now, I love that definition. I heard that from Tim Keller. Uh, it also kind of weighs over me <laughs> as like this guilty burden because I wish I was that friend. But I think it's a good definition still. Well, we let people in and we don't let them down. But you know what? The only friend that we have that is truly like that is Jesus. <laughs> he lets us in. He opens up the very heart of God and His arms spread out on that cross and He will not let us down because He is faithful. And yet, as we go on to try and experience this, there is this dance of vulnerability that we might experience a genuine kind of friendship, a friendship that kind of lets you vulnerably into their life, that you walk alongside them, that you know them, that you know how to enjoy being time, spending time with them. And here's perhaps one of the differences. If brother-sister love it is a love that is expressed because of loyalty, we are loyal and bound to each other because of the blood of Jesus, friendship love is actually love that is expressed for the enjoyment of each other. The ancient Greeks actually referred to friendship love as the highest love. And I find that really fascinating because I don't think we think like that at all these days. Or we think of marriage love perhaps as the highest love, or sexual love as the highest love, but we've lost this middle space which I think is beautiful. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, back to school season and uh, all my boys have gone up a year and one of them even into high school, how about that? Uh, and as we uh, talked about some of the kind of the dramas that are already unfolding, I said, uh, I said buddy, you're moving beyond kind of convenient friends, friends that are just there that you play handball with because they're just there and you both like handball and you're moving into vulnerable friends. You're moving into this space where you do actually relationship with people, where you actually invite them in, you spend life with them and they disappoint you <laughs> and that's hard but it's something you've got to work through and it's something you've got to work through in a way that you don't respond out of bitterness and spite but you can respond in kindness and love and know that your identity is fixed in the Lord Jesus. Friendship love is a love of dance, is it kind of is a dance of love. It offers ourselves. It sort of it, it, it tests the waters to see how much further we can go, how deep we might enjoy each other's time and, and friendship, and then it often is rejected in various ways, and so we go dancing around. It is hard. It takes effort. I reached a season a few years ago where I was like, huh, sort of preaching to myself what I spoke to my, uh, my, my child, my son. I realized that I actually had to invest time in my friendships. Have you noticed that as you get older, your friendship circles start to shrink a bit, your friends disappear to other parts of the world? We must invest in each other and we can't do this kind of friendship love with everybody. But let us enjoy it and may it be built on the love of Jesus, because our love will leak. You will fail your friends. People will let you in and they will hurt you. But let the love of Christ fill you up so that you might be a good friend to others. And finally, let me think about uh, marriage love. And in a way, it's, it's kind of a combination of the last two, because it, it, it has elements of both loyalty and enjoyment. Uh, it speaks of the covenant love of Christ when we make vows to one another uh, and we are to live in the, in the bounds of those vows, in, in the covenant love and in that way it does point to the covenant love of God and yet it's also a love that is to be enjoyed. 
For example, in that covenant love, a man and a woman uh, have been given the gift of sex in marriage, and God made that a good thing to be enjoyed. Uh, Out of that comes uh, possibly children and all kinds of responsibility and sacrifice and grace. But Rebecca makes the comment in here that marriage does its best in the ecosystem of the family of God. Because we've done two things with marriage. One, we've put it on a pedestal. And two, on that pedestal, we, we kind of isolate ourselves in the sanctuary of marriage. Godly marriage ought to be open and, and sort of permeable and, and kind of overflow to serve others. It doesn't kind of hide away within itself. No marriage is good enough to build your life upon. For all our world's obsession with sex and romance, this is not the key focus on the drama of God's love. For ultimately, we're not going to be married in heaven, in the new age, and our passions, as Paul says, will be divided in marriage, between working for God and between loving our spouse. Jesus wants us foundationally and fundamentally to experience His love and His love in community of brothers and sisters, and may we live life in that. She goes on to say, with regards to singleness, that singleness ought to be a rich and valued vehicle for discipleship, but we have treated it as a state that feels at best unenviable and at worst unlivable. And so we're all the way back again to let us love one another. Let us think about how we might cultivate that, how we might live that out, how we might actually not come to church with kind of what's on our heart in mind, but as we think about those that are around us and how we might serve them. We will fail at this, and yet, as our love leaks, Jesus' love bleeds, and let us be filled to overflowing in Him. Let me pray, and then I'm going to invite Nat up, and we'll have a crack at some questions. Father, As we think about all the kind of loves that are jumbled in our heart, disordered and frustrating and aching and enjoyable and life-giving, Father, in the mess of all that, may the love of Jesus fill us to overflowing. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Him, that we might live for Him and be shaped by Him for Your glory. Amen.